there's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC by Pilot House. Are you using influencer content marketing to scale your direct-to-consumer brand? If you're not, or if you've tried and you haven't quite been able to make it work, then you are really missing out. As the uh, expert practitioner John Hagen in our upcoming course said, if you're not using influencer marketing, you're still playing t-ball. So if you think about that, uh, you might want to know that we're running the Influencer Flywheel Challenge November 10th to 13th. Uh, we have about 50 slots left. We're going to cut it off at 100. We decided today in our All Killer No Filler podcast, you'll hear about it, that we are going to cut it off at 100. We're at about 50 now. Uh, so we, you know, you have a few days left, but I, I'm very excited uh, for this inaugural group, the very first D2C course, uh, where we're bringing together some of the top level expert practitioners uh, in the world of influencer marketing. Uh, this, this really this next phase of influencer marketing that we've reached now. Um, we have spent millions on, on these tactics and they've worked incredibly well. And we're super excited to share them with everyone. Uh, you'll hear a little bit about it in the podcast today. One of the best all killer, no fillers we've ever recorded, I think. Um, so I'm really excited for you to hear that. So uh, get in touch with me. If you want to know more about the course, you can reach me at eric at directtoconsumer.co. Uh, and other than that, you're going to want to go to learn.directtoconsumer.co slash influencer to sign up and get on the waiting list right now. Cheers. Hello and welcome to All Killer No Filler. It is Friday. I am Eric Dick and I am here with the Pilot House team to talk about some of the things that are on our minds today uh, regarding some of our high scale campaigns. Today, of course, we have uh, Pilot House co-founder Kyle Hitchcock, as well as senior media buyers Raven Dixon and Stu Mason. So right off the top, let's get into a value rocket. Stu, you had a good one. Why don't you roll with it? Right. So Eric, I guess the issue then is um, you're, uh, you take over an account or you have an existing account with legacy ads, ads that have been running for a long time. Facebook with their algorithm tends to favor those. They will pick out an ad, um, whether it's creative or copy that seems to work quite well. And it will favor that across all your scale campaigns. And so you have a hard time finding new winners. This is uh, especially an issue for agencies who spend a lot of money and time producing new creative to try and you know, put, push your ROAS and push push the bar up, but Facebook just won't uh, give the give the spend it needs. So, how do you kick it out of its rut, right? Yeah, this is something that we experience all the time with with direct to consumer. Basically, it was one ad that's been driving all the success. But then, when it, whenever also we have like uh, time relevant or time specific ads, like getting them into the mix has been really difficult to to, to kind of take over. Uh, is this something you experience as well, Raven? Definitely. And I think you get those ads that are your legacy ads that have, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of comments on them and all of your spend is going there. And that's a really scary place to be in because when that ad starts to fizzle out, you do not want to have all your eggs in one basket. So you need to ensure that you're constantly growing on new ads and new creatives and getting them up to have those hundreds and thousands of comments on them as well. Nice. Stools on, stools on the, on the, or legs on the stool. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So how do you do it? How do you actually break it out of its rut? Like what are the actual technical sort of tips for that? It's tough because you're going against um, 
what Facebook is ostensibly helping you with. Like their algorithm has identified this, this, you know, great ad that seems to work for you, but you've got an ulterior motive here. So to break it out of its rut, you have to, um, you have to go through the legacy ads. What we've done in the past is identify each of the legacy ads and append a, a unique identifier to the name that keeps them um, out of the learning phase. So they're still running, but you can change the name. And uh, from there, you just pause all the legacy ads, make sure you have new ad creative in place to fill up that budget. And all of a sudden, Facebook now has to look elsewhere and is looking at your new ads. And then you can find these winners. Cool. Sorry, changing the name specifically. Hello. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. No worries. It's all good. Specifically changing the name. Sorry. Is that, is that, that's not in the same campaign or ad set. Like talk about that structure. Sorry, say again, Kyle. Uh, like changing the name, like how specifically, like is oh. that in the same campaigns or in the same ad sets or? Yeah. So the solution then, Eric, is to actually go through and find all the legacy ads that you have in the account that are currently running and append sort of a unique identifier to the end of the ad name. So you might say, you know, your ad name may say, uh, you know, X creative, and you might put, you know, ZZ on the end of it. That way you can, at any point in time, find ZZ ads. You know, those are your old legacy ads and you can pause or restart at any given point. What that does when you pause all those ads is that now Facebook can look toward your new new creative and find uh, find the new winners that you need to scale up. How do you freak out? Like, cause I know you, 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 what, what happens when you pause those and you go to a whole, like a whole new creative, like, do you often see the results spike up uh, when you do that? We were interested because we knew that the experiment was worth it just to find uh, what creative are, are working. We knew that ROAS may go up or down. We weren't sure, but we knew it was worth it just to, just to figure out what alternatives were working. What we actually found was a, a, a spike in ROAS. It, it, was a positive effect because we knew we had better ads. We knew our audience is better. So we created better creative. So we saw a spike in ROAS and we also saw, you know, we, we got to identify new ads that we could spin out elsewhere. So you're actually doing that in your scale campaigns. You're taking the risk, turning off the new, the old stuff and, and giving your new uh, pre optimized creatives a go in your scale campaigns. Correct. Yeah. We've seen lower CPAs, higher ROAS. Man. It's Dancing with the devil. <laughs> well, it, it's that tension. It's that constant tension between who know who knows what's best, you or Facebook, right? And that's as a media buyer, you're constantly in in that tension. And most of the time, we're giving as much as we can over to Facebook. But in this case, it's like you know, like I thought I thought you worded that well. Like you know your customers, you know the creatives that work. You know you're not going to be that far off from it. I, you also know quite often that when you turn on legacy creative, it'll work again. You know what I mean? It'll yeah. kind of go back to whatever it was churning before. Um, so I think that's really smart. I think that's a really good tip for people to take away about, about not being afraid to roll the dice and force Facebook to take in new information. Cause they don't know, they, you know, they don't know what you're doing, what you're going to do. They, they may think, Oh, it's not going to work as well as this, but you know, you got to force it sometimes. It's, it's easy to execute and it's low risk. So, so it's a quick win. I will say though, however, like your ad set targeting and things like that, you definitely don't want to muck with too much. Um, you know, a small audience change or even a budget change obviously can flip your campaign sideways. So totally. 
Okay, let's move on to the next topic. Next, speaking of urgency, let's bring some real urgency to this all killer, no filler. Uh, you know, uh, on the uh, D2C side, we're actually running our first event on November 10th and 13th. Seats are running out. We are down to our final few seats here, and we really want to make sure you get that seat. So this is the kind of urgency I'm kind of dealing with all the time, trying to figure out how we can fill up this amazing uh, course with as many people as possible, really uh, impart a sense of scarcity. I'm really wondering what what uh, what what you guys are seeing on on the agency side with urgency and how you're utilizing it in your Black Friday Cyber Monday run-ups. Definitely, I think a really good way or kind of a common theme that we see with a lot of DCT brands, and I know this is definitely relevant for some of the clients that I'm working with right now, is they run an evergreen discount. A lot of the times, if you're running an evergreen year-round discount, it's five, ten, maybe fifteen percent on the lower range because you're running it all the time. Now, how do you leverage that discount in a way to add urgency to the consumer on the first click? So if I see an ad that's 50% off, that 50% off is probably strong enough for me to click on the ad. It's a big enough discount. But if I see an ad for 5, 10, 15%, and that's all the really ad says, it's probably not strong enough for me to really go in and click on it. So now what do you need to tell your consumers to ensure that they click on that ad? That's where you add a sense of urgency. If you can take your discount and link it to something that's current and relevant in what's going on right now, that's a really, really good tactic to use. Also using language around limited stock, limited inventory available. And a lot of times that's true. Um, currently a brand that we're working with right now, we pair these around some new launches. So, you know, we've got a new product coming out, new product line discount, things like that. Don't be scared to use the timer emoji. That really helps add a lot of urgency and scream urgency in your ads. Your top three lines, your headlines, put the promo code in, put in limited time, really ensure that your language screams urgency to the consumer. Raven, you said something that kind of struck a, on a court, uh, whatever, struck something with me. But <laughs> the, um, like, because we have a, we have quite a few clients that always have discounts and there's this conversation of brand value versus you know, just being a discount brand and, and the optics uh, for customers like that. But like, I think one of, our, one of our clients, like every month, it's it's the same amount of dollars that they can save. It's just, it's a Halloween thing or it's a uh, holiday special or anything happening that month. But every, there's maybe two or, you know, one or two different uh, approaches every month, but it's the same discount on an ongoing basis. But the creatives are different. The campaigns are rebuilds and so on and so on, but it's quite effective. When you tie it to a holiday, it's like there's that built-in urgency. It's like that holiday's over, and so the sale's yeah. over, right? And so that sort of like is the implied urgency by tying it to that event. That's smart. Mm -hmm. there, there's um, you know, it's like Eric, yours is a bit different. And like the 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 urgency that you have really is time, uh, seat capacity. But what you know, Stu's Stu's going to talk about this. But what what you really need to identify is the real seat amount, and put that in front of people and tell people how much space is actually left. Yeah. The other option you would have, of course, is a price increase. Yes. Closer to date. And exactly. uh, yeah, but uh, Stu, Stu's got some great ideas here and, and we're actually deep in another uh, digital product course launch um, for, for a really cool brand. So maybe he could, he could touch on a little more. Yeah, I, I love real scarcity, real urgency, because it's been, it's been used as a tactic for years. Um, so it's lost its value. You know, it's been cheapened. So as soon as you have that real sense of it, I think back it up. Um, so we're cur currently selling a premium information product where essentially you can have unlimited seats. There's no real scarcity there, but there is urgency because we've chosen to go instead of evergreen, we switched to an open close model. So limited launches two weeks at a time, every six months say, 
what that does is, is, you know, it's got a few effects. Obviously it increases um, urgency in a real way. You can back it up and it does a few things. It allows you to collect leads in the meantime and warm them up in a meaningful way. Uh, if you had an evergreen funnel, you're asking for newsletter signups and the value isn't there, right? But if you got a closed, open closed model, then you can say, hey, if you want to hear about this uh, six months from now, you have to be on the wait list. So then there, you know, is a, a very cheap way to warm them up for the next launch. And then when they're, and then, yeah, they're on that wait list. And then you have real urgency for when the course starts. It's based in time. Uh, is there a seat limit in that case as well? Or is it really just about time? It's, it's, it's more about time. You could introduce a seat limit in, in roundabout ways. Uh, I've seen in the past people say something like, you know, they may host live calls. Um, if you're selling an information product, there's some form of feedback, live feedback. And hey, we don't want 300 people in the Zoom call. Yep. So there is limited seating. That's what we're using is that intimacy. We're really like, but we haven't slapped a number on it yet, just because we haven't we haven't slapped that number on it yet. And and so we're like we we know we want to keep it intimate. We like any anyway, we always have to walk that line. You have to deliver on whatever you do with scarcity or urgency. Have, hey, Eric, it, why don't you why don't you just get a solution from us right now? Talk about your problem and let's solve it. Okay. So, well, it's, well, we, we, we got 10 sales today. So we're really, we really are starting to pick up. It is really getting scarcer, but, but yeah, that's, that's our issue right now is we just, we, we have this event that's set in time right now. People are joining a wait list. Uh, then they're getting an email sequence in order to, to join the, the influencer challenge. Um, and, and so far all the, the emails where we do mention urgency uh, by in the ways that we're kind of going about it, saying that we want to keep things intimate, you make sure you lock in your spot. There's going to be limited spots. Um, but we haven't said, okay, we're at 50% or 60% or, or whatever full. Um, and yeah, like this is, this, as we, you know, this is our first, uh, this is our, our, our first thing that we're putting up, putting out there. We've had an amazing feedback so far. Uh, so we could, we could just cap it at like, I think we're at close to 50 now. So we could like cap it at 75 or something and, and really drive to that. But at the same time, we also want to keep it open. So, you know. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're, you're kind of, you're building this brand, you're building this new thing. And so, um, I mean, there's this cheesy factor too. And what Stu was talking about is this brand is very, very high end, very well known. And, you know, he was very, the big one was very concerned about being cheesy and coming across off, off tone, off brand. And so that's why we, we kept it simple and made it a gated kind of two week time frame to buy. What puts the, puts the pressure on us to, to sell the courses. I'll tell you that. But yeah, um, and they all come case. in. People wait till the end. People wait to the end to leverage their capital in those situations, right? Yeah. We're having run events and, in the past, like and who who knows? Maybe people they like know that maybe a discount's coming if you're not filling your seats or whatever. So exactly, you know, I think in your case, like off the top of my head, I think is 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 putting a, a gate on it, restrict it to a hundred people. Yeah, um, that's a good number to start with. Yeah, yeah, and I think also increasing the cost closer to launch date. Yeah, we've thought about this. For us, we're really, you know, we, we don't get too much into our deep, dark strategy here. But but for us, this is we really just want to put something out to our audience and see how many are going to buy. You know, we're, we're going to work on uh, bigger courses, more more higher ticket things. We really just wanted to put something out there at a, mm -hmm. you know, at a rate that that we think people, you know, are, are likely to trigger into what we're doing. The, but high, va high value, high value offering at a, at a very reasonable price. That's your, that's your offer. That's our offer. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. And I would say like having run a lot of events in the past, we would 
it's the last week you get 50% of your sales on physical events. That's a little bit different. Maybe we'll have to see how different that is from virtual events, but it is a nerve wracking business when you, when you do those timeframes, because it really does cascade towards the end, especially if you're doing something, the other mechanism is what AdWorld does is raising your prices and then building your, you know, your cadence and all of your ad campaigns around the next price hike. Uh, there's no better way to sell temporal events than than that in in my in, and, and ad world is you know they're going to be the ones that do it right affiliate world they they really know they really know how to drive drive those sales but yeah, I want to just the record, bring it back. we love those guys we love those guys yeah. yeah I wanted to bring it back to D 2 C for a second though and around scarcity you really do have to put you like when you put coupon codes out there you put sales out there are we really diligent about making sure they end when we say they end or does it sometimes like how how does that work with, with make, like, do, do we let sales trickle in when, after we say that they we're not going to, or do we really create a hard line on the product side of things, Raven? I think you've really got to be honest and create a really hard line if that's the approach that you're going for. I think there's kind of two different strategies that we've got kind of going on right now, more what Stu was saying, where you've got a time limit and you've got that scarcity. And then there's that using urgency in an evergreen strategy, which was kind of what I was referring to there. Yeah. I think if you're using it in evergreen, then it's okay to not have that hard stop because you are doing your evergreen, you know, that that's kind of the purpose of that. But with Stu, he's on that time limit. So you really need to ensure that that you've you've got your crunch and you you're not going to, you're not going to let consumers kind of surpass that. Very cool, uh, Stu. I want to bring up a point that you had here about considering your margin before you advertise on Facebook. I think Facebook is considered sort of like it's the rocket fuel. It's the thing that you can just put some money in and get and get um, you know, can get sales results. But I feel like a lot of advertisers don't uh, don't take their bottom line into account as early as they need to. And I wanted to know what you were thinking from this. Agreed. Yeah. I, I think everyone thinks it's, it's just the way to do it now. Facebook is easy. You know, it's become more democratized. Anyone can do it. So you see sort of in this golden age of entrepreneurship now with, with COVID and with Shopify and, and all these options to get into business, even Etsy stores, people are doing this and, and they want the next step. So they go to Facebook advertising. You know, I, I, I see a lot of frustration with folks who get into it and re they forget there's a base cost to advertising like any medium right? So yeah, there are ways to bring your cost per clicks down and, and, and cost per sales, but I think you need to consider your margins. Like you're going to have a hard time selling a $10 product on Facebook, right? Yeah. It's going to be a rough start unless you have an established brand or something. So if you can, if you have, if you have the room, consider higher margin items from the start to sell, right? Information products are, are the perfect, perfect solution to that. If you can come up with a product where you build it once, then reap this passive revenue for, you know, years after you can charge, you can have an infinite margin on an information product. So totally. it's a huge. Yeah. yeah. And on the e-com side, like, you know, we, we dabble in our own product launches and we, you know, our sales team qualifies business opportunities based on their cost of goods, right? Their cost of goods is 75%. Then they still have all their operational costs, their, their actual ability to, um, spend money to create a profit is, is basically zero negative. Right. And if, if they don't have a recurring product or recurring billing model or, you know, upsell opportunities or big databases of email lists where they can continue to sell the same product, it's just not going to work. There's a golden ratio. It's like, you know, 33, 33, 33, um, 33% marketing. They actually say, I mean, business school, they said 50% of a big, like 50% of like Coca-Cola's total budget is in marketing. But for direct to consumer, you know, if you can do 33% cogs, 33% ops and, you know, 
squeezing some some margin in there, then then you're better off uh, otherwise. And so if you've got a 10 or $20 product and you're out there, like what advice do you have? Like really, I guess you have to sell, if you've got a $10 product, you got to sell five of them. You got to bundle them kind of together to like what, I know there's no magic number. I think $50 is what we say. We're seeing a lot better scaling opportunities in the current market situation with more luxury products and, and higher tier products. Uh, like, but what do you do if you've got one of those 10 or $20 products? Rethink your business? Upsells, upsells, upsells. Yeah. yeah upsells absolutely. and bundles, yep. like hands down. And ensure that your upsell funnel is structured properly. Don't go in with a $10 product and try and upsell something that's $100. It's not going to work. Your number one thing that you upsell should be a second product of something that they've already purchased. And then your downsell wants to be something that the consumer might be really interested in. So maybe something kind of merchandise. You know, if you've got a water bottle with your logo on it, something like that for your first downsell. Your second upsell, you want it to be something new in the product line but still similar. So maybe a different flavor of the same product that they've already got. If you structure your upsell funnel in the correct way, that can increase your AOV immediately. It's a, it's a huge value opportunity. Totally. Well said, Raven. Very cool. All right. What's our next topic here? Let's jump into while we, while we have Raven rolling, let's just keep going on, on your experience with pre-sales this week, how to maximize winners and squeeze the towel. Mm -hmm. definitely so you you see all the time you've got a pre-sell it's winning and then i i hear luckily i've never done this but you hear people and then just you know that's it you've, you've got a winner and now you think your work is done let's back up just quickly pre-sell by pre-sale we mean a pre-sales landing page that we're building out on insta page or lead pages one of these one of these you know click funnels even where you're you're, you're not driving directly to your, your store homepage or your sales page you're driving to a pre-selling page that's framing the experience we talk about it all the time on this podcast mm -hmm. Definitely. Cool. And, and once you've got one of those and you know it's a winner, that's kind of where your work is just beginning. You know you've got this winning formula, but there's always ways to optimize and to make it better and to really kind of like squeeze that towel and get all the conversions that you can out of it. A Hitchcock's ism, squeezing the towel. I yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's probably where I learned that term. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a couple of things that you could do is you could take um, the same page, take your copy and put your copy into a completely different template. Put a new header on that page, move your call to action around, split test five different versions of the same page until you finally have one where every single segment has been tested and optimized. And then take that page and look at your data. One thing that recently came up where I had a landing page that was converting really, really well after all of our testing, I found that it was actually converting substantially more with women than with men. Luckily, we had a product in that product line that also I could see in the ad account in a different campaign converted much higher with women than with men. So you take that product, put that into that winning pre-sale that you've already optimized, and it was it turned it around overnight. I then took a winner that was already doing really well and made it 10 times better. Hmm. Very cool. Very good uh, observations there and actions. And then what about pre-sales? Let's talk, uh, sorry, not pre-sales. Let's talk about pre-orders while we're in the pre-section. Uh, you also brought up something interesting about how pre-orders have been a really great strategy for these trying times of inventory issues. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies, especially with COVID-19 and everything that's going on, they've hit in, uh, inventory problems. It's, it's something that's happened and some, some brands are still kind of feeling the effects of that. And what we don't want to do, especially as media buyers, is pause all of our campaigns because we don't have inventory, because we lose all of our momentum and it makes us panic a little. So kind of a way around that is to launch pre-orders. I've launched pre-orders as early as a month in advance and seen success. 
There is also huge social proof and a big ego play to say, yes, you have to order it on pre-orders because you're not going to get it otherwise because we're going to run out of stock soon. Scarcity. Talk about scarcity. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Urgency. That's right. Another way to add urgency is yeah, just put pre-orders on there and and they sell really, really well. Consumers. It's funny the, uh, Raven well said, yeah, it's funny the, um, like some of the ads were actually running like pictures of boxes and it's like, these are on a freight from China right now. Do you want them? Because they're going to be sold by the time they hit land. <laughs> That's a good flex. <laughs> That's a pretty good flex. Oh. That's Cast. awesome. Yeah. I, we've got two more topics I want to cover. Uh, the, the one I want to end with is more sort of a free-for-all discussion. We've got one more here. Raven, you have a, a comment here about ego in ads. I'm interested in your point of view on this. Definitely. I think if you have a reason to, if you have a reason to have a big ego about your product, please say it in your ads. If you've sold your product out five times, don't wait till I get to the landing page. If you like, tell me in the ad, I, I'm a big believer in clicking on a lot of the ads that come into my newsfeed, just because as an educated consumer, if you've sold out five times, put it in there. If you, you know, if you have over a thousand five-star reviews, put that in your ads. Consumers might not believe something coming from you being like, this is an amazing product. But when you start showing consumers that other people also believe that this is such an amazing product, it's huge social proof and it'll absolutely skyrocket your ads. Very, very cool. And how do, but, so, and the question is, how do you find the influencers that are going to really echo that? Cause you really want that, those authentic moments, right? Where they're saying that like, this is the best product, but if they really believe it, it's going to have so much more value. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you need to ensure that, you know, you can't say you have a thousand five-star reviews unless you do, you know, you can't say your product is sold out five times unless it has, but if you have a reason to shout from the rooftop, make sure that your ads shout that out. Eric, to your question specifically about finding influencers. I mean, we talk about this a lot too, and I'm just going (coughs) to cough and say that you're doing something about that uh, publicly, publicly here. Um, Sign up if you haven't. Sign up. We'll link it out on the right below. You'll see the link right here. Yeah, exactly. Touch a corner of your screen somewhere, right? Somewhere, um, one of these corners. Uh, it comes down awesome. to budget and tenacity. There's, you can collect influencers stuff through email through your normal drips in exchange for products. We talk about this all the time. There's companies that will do barter exchange for uh, influencer content in exchange for for uh, the product. And then there's companies where you can pay big bucks and get nice polished stuff done and, and dark and, and white posting. You'll talk about all this in your in your thingy. Yep. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, like if, if you're a brand that has that capacity, just go find an influencer agency or an agency that excels at it. Uh, if, if you don't have a lot of budget, give the product to your friends and family and start making those testimonials. Nice. Great advice. Okay. Now to finish on, let's, let's bring a contentious topic in here. Uh, the future of Facebook marketing in general, this is something that Stu brought up. The question is, you know, we're, we're living in this era where we were told for many years, like transportation would be the big first industry that would be disrupted massively. And that's happening. But then COVID happened and more industries got massively disrupted than, than we were planning on. Uh, e-commerce has grown 10, you know, 10 years in, in five months here. And and it, we're at this point now where the, the machines are getting smarter and smarter. I'm interested, Stu, in your thoughts on five to 10 years out and the role that marketers might have in that equation. It's crazy, right? Because the question is, how, how as, as marketers and buyers, how do you retain your value in a world where Facebook continues to autom- automate your job, right? So I started using Facebook ads, you know, eight years ago or so for a landscaping company. And at the time, it was, it was horrible. You didn't do so much work and, and it didn't work. But now, you know, you got things like automated rules, DCT, um, 
audience segmentation and identification. I mean, you know, we're running with open or, or broad audiences and Facebook is doing the heavy lifting. So when a tool gets to be that smart and starts to take that much of your job, the question is, where does that leave us? Um, and I, I would propose, I don't know what you guys think, but I think that Facebook is going to get to, to the point where essentially you don't even need your own creative. You don't need your own copy. It will auto suggest these things or auto create them. They're already creating images from video, video from images. You know, Gmail has got a heavy uh, auto suggest feature within its text. So I see a, a similar thing happening with Facebook. That's really interesting. It's funny. I in a, in a previous mentor that I've had was really had a theory that the last currency in marketing would become creative right now, where where everything where the buying cycle is is automated and, and already even with our influencers when when we build these campaigns out, I know we'll throw we really let Facebook determine which ads are going to work best in kind of which phase of the of the process. But yeah, there's still that his idea was that currency or the, the creativity becomes the last currency of the media buyer in a way. And you're envisioning a time even beyond that, which which I can see happening as well, the way things converge. I think about like uh, Blade Runner, the, the movie Blade Runner, where he leaves his house and, and and the ads are following him around. Right. The ads are telling a clean narrative story where the ads are designed specifically for him from exactly. his own personal fantasies and, you know, things like that. And I could see that we, we, we will enter our we already are in our reality tunnels already. And I feel like that's going to. Can, you know, improve a lot. I, I think we'll reach a point where ads that we see are hundred percent unique. They're auto-generated and they're meant specifically for us. You know, um, I think as these tools become more democratized, um, things change. So I remember, you know, growing up doing graphic design, this changed a lot. Website design has changed so much. You know, we wouldn't shake our head at charging $20,000 for website design 10 years ago. And now it's, it's unthinkable. Now it's no code. Yeah, right. And and anyone can do it. Business owners can do it themselves. Um, you've got tools like Canva that, you know, completely templatized Facebook ads. There you go. You, you can be a dummy and succeed, you know, in, in, with some tenacity. So question is, yeah, where, where does that leave us? And I think with many white color jobs that are becoming more automated, we're looking at more of sort of a tactical, strategical type role as we mature. It's, yeah, it's really... It is scary. And I, I, I talk about this often too, just over beers or whatever with like all my friends are marketers and that creativity component, like really what are humans left with the creativity? Um, and will, stopping the systems like Stu mentioned in the beginning, like take, you know, understanding where Facebook's domain is, but understanding where it's limited as well. Like Facebook might, you know, maybe they will, they will evolve to the point where they know that they have to test things maybe differently, but the, the thing is, the thing is too, Eric, like, it's all these platforms hate each other. Like Google wants Facebook budget. Amazon wants Google budget. Amazon wants search results. They're paying Google for search results. Uh, they're probably all shareholders in each other's businesses, like secretly. But, um, yes. you know, as long as there's a gate there, as long as there's not one machine controlling it all, I think that there's always going to be opportunity for strategy, like Stu said. I love because it. Because every platform works differently. They're all stealing attribution and they're all going to continue to do that. So until they're all owned by one company, we'll have a job. Yeah. It's just whether I think as a, a white collar marketer, <laughs> um, you know, you're able to keep up with those trends and the cadence. You know, two years ago, three years ago, we had a massive edge. Like we knew everything. We knew everything. We, 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 knew, we knew 50% more than the next guy, right? A year ago, you know, we know 
20% than the next guy. Right now, we have we know 10% more than the next guy, and we have speed and tenacity and a hunger. That we're winning on hunger. Yeah. And how long will that last? I don't know. And it's and it's it's no more proficiency in tools. Like that was a big thing back in the day. Hey, I can rock Adobe Suite. Doesn't okay. matter now. You can find people across the world that can do that. You can hire that out, outsource easily. So, you know, we fall back on soft skills, client management, things like that. Yeah. Um, communication awesome. theory, foundations. Yeah. yeah. Like how to persuade someone. How does someone think? What makes them tick? What makes them buy? All of these things will be answered in future episodes of All Killer No Filler. We have reached our <laughs> time limit. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Raven's been on a cast before. She kills as always. Uh, welcome to your very first podcast. You also killed it today. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend. And uh, we'll see you guys uh, on Saturday when this releases. Yeah. Okay, thank you guys. Yeah.